We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. It is servant leadership that does not require recognition that defines greatness in the kingdom of God. The whole world says you must step up and walk on others to be great. Get to the top by pushing others out of the side. But whoever follows Jesus must step down and deny himself or herself to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's Pastor Michael Oxentenko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, make sure that you call us at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is there right now to take your prayer request and to pray with you. 888-244-HOPE. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is number 16 in the Cosmic Controversy series. Now, due to our time constraints, we're only able to bring you the first portion of this broadcast here today. But remember, as with all of the messages, you can listen to the entire message online at reachingyourheart.com. That's reachingyourheart.com. Let's get underway now. Here's Pastor Michael Oxentenko with today's Reaching Your Heart. Dear Father God, we're just really grateful, grateful beyond belief that the everlasting gospel is good news. It's end time good news and everlasting good news. We're grateful that Jesus is all sufficient, that in him is obedience, in him is forgiveness, in him is righteousness, in Jesus is life, and that we have a future in him. Lord, we don't want this place to be about anyone other than the Savior. And Father, we're grateful for an end time message that points to keeping the commandments of God, but more profoundly, we go deeper in, the faith of Jesus. And so, Father, today as we open the Word, we ask to be in Christ, to not have my mind govern the Scripture, but to have Christ in us, the hope of glory. We thank you for answering this prayer. In the name of the one who has merit and worth, in Jesus' name, amen. Every generation has to read Casey at the Bat. By Ernest Lawrence Thayer to understand greatness. It's something about how it describes the search for greatness in the American culture. Now, I, I want to share that poem with you, but I thought instead of me reading, I'm going to have our poet here, our local poet, Dr. Butler, come forward. He can do it a lot better. Thank you. This is a poem in the mock heroic genre. I used to like it when I was a boy. One of my favorite poems. So I'm glad Pastor Mike asked me to read it, and I'll do the best I can. Casey at the bat. The outlook wasn't brilliant for the Mudville nine that day. The score stood four to two with but one inning more to play. And then when Cooney died at first and Barrows did the same, a sickly silence fell upon the patrons of the game. A straggling few got up to go in deep despair. The rest clung to that hope which springs eternal in the human breast. They thought if only Casey could but get a whack at that, We put even money now with Casey at the bat. But Flynn preceded Casey, as did also Jimmy Blake. And the former was a Lulu, 
and the latter was a cake. So upon that stricken multitude, grim melancholy sat, for there seemed but little chance of cases getting to the bat. But Flynn let drive a single to the wonder men of all, and Blake, the much despised, tore the cover off the ball. And when the dust had lifted and the men saw what had occurred, there was Johnny safe at second and Flynn a hugging third. Then from 5,000 throats, would be almost 5 million today, and more there rose a lusty yell. It rumbled through the valley. It rattled in the dell. It knocked upon the mountain and recoiled upon the flat, for Casey, mighty Casey, was advancing to the bat. There was ease in Casey's manner as he stepped into his place. There was pride in Casey's bearing and a smile on Casey's face. And when, responding to the cheers, he lightly doffed his hat, no stranger in the crowd could doubt t'was Casey at the bat. Ten thousand eyes were on him as he rubbed his hands with dirt. Five thousand tongues applauded when he wiped them on his shirt. Then while the writhing pitcher ground the ball into his hip, defiance gleamed in Casey's eye, a sneer curled Casey's lip. And now the leather-covered sphere came hurtling through the air, and Casey stood a-watching it in haughty grandeur there. Close by the sturdy batsman, the ball's unheeded sped, that ain't my style, said Casey. Strike one, the umpire said. From the benches, black with people, there went up a muffled roar, like the beating of the storm waves on the stern and distant shore. Kill him! Kill the umpire! shouted someone on the stand, and it's likely they'd have killed him had not Casey raised his hand. With a smile of Christian charity, great Casey's visage shone. He stilled the rising tumult. He bade the game go on. He signaled to the pitcher, and once more the spheroid flew. But Casey still ignored it, and the umpire said, Strike two! Fraud, cried the maddened thousands, and echoed, answered fraud. But one scornful look from Casey, and the audience was awed. They saw his face grow stern and cold. They saw his muscles strain, and they knew that Casey wouldn't let that ball go by again. The sneer is gone from Casey's lip. His teeth are clenched in hate. He pounds with cruel violence his bat upon the plate. And now the pitcher holds the ball, and now he lets it go, and now the air is shattered by the force of Casey's blow. Oh, somewhere in this favored land, the sun is shining bright. The band is playing somewhere, and somewhere hearts are light. And somewhere men are laughing, and somewhere children shout. But there's no joy in Mudville. Mighty Casey has struck out. This is the perennial poem that describes the appeal for greatness. Uh, In fact, it's the perennial poem in American uh, culture which describes arrogance. This notion that you can stand up and you can just let opportunities go by. And because you're great, you can just take the last opportunity and become the hero of the show. And we see how Casey struck out. Stepping up to the plate is important for success. That is what we hear in our culture today. You step up. You use personal power. You come to the opportunity. You swing the bat. You become great. Creating your own brand and taking your personal stand is a necessary quality for leadership in this world. 
The rise to power is a term that describes the rapid ascent of the successful and the gifted to greatness. And there is no room in this Darwinian world in which we live for the weak to rise to greatness. In this world, winners win and losers lose. And when you strike out, there is no place left for you in the great hall of fame. Dear heart, Jesus is not the prince of this kind of world. Jesus didn't come here to win the way the world wants you to win. He doesn't want you to win that way. Christ didn't establish himself as the king of kings that kicks the weak off the hill. That's not his kind of kingdom. Who would want to follow a leader like Jesus today? Now think about that. If you look at Jesus in the Gospels, you look at what kind of leader he was, who would want to follow someone like him? When a person rises to real success, they step up to the plate and they take their stand at the top of the hill. And for a moment, they're the hero. They're in the limelight. In the Gospel of Luke, we encounter a leader in Jesus, the only leader worth following in your life, who turned this kind of thinking on its head forever. Dear heart, Jesus is the man who stepped down. He's the man who did not choose to rise to greatness. He's the man that chose to leave the greatness far behind to find those who could never ascend the hill of the Lord. In the Old Testament, the question is asked in Psalms 24 that was never answered until Jesus came to earth. No human being had met the test of perfection recorded in Psalms 24. It was the litmus test that was necessary to claim this world back for God. In the great controversy between Christ and Satan, no human being had retraced the footsteps of Adam and had attained the kind of perfection that was necessary to seize this planet and bring it back to the heart of God. In Psalms 24.1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas. He has established it upon the rivers. And then the question is asked in verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? And the answer comes very clearly in verse 4, He who has clean hands and a pure heart. In 4,000 years of human history, no man or woman had met the test of moral perfection required right here. And that's why the graves stayed the grave. That's why no one was able to ascend the hill of the Lord and stay there unless someone met these credentials. Now, it is true that Enoch was translated without ever seeing death, and Elijah was caught up to God in a fiery chariot, but they were only a foretaste of what would come. And if Jesus had not come to this earth and lived a perfect life, if Christ had not come here to redeem the failure of Adam, they would have had to leave heaven or wherever they were at, come right back down here and die because they had no ticket to eternity without the qualifications of Psalms 24. Moses died. And Jude 9 indicates that he was resurrected shortly after when the archangel Michael reclaimed the body of Moses from the power of death. He said to the devil, as he's pulling his body back from the grave, he said, the Lord rebuke you. And Moses came to life. If Jesus had not come to this earth and lived a perfect life, Moses, that first and foretaste of the resurrection, would have been required to come down all over again and die for good right here. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. And the Bible is clear, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You know, this self-righteous stuff of religious talk we sometimes find in the church is just fantasy. You know, it would be a healthy dynamic in the Christian church for us to leave it far behind. I mean, when we give a testimony about God's goodness and greatness, isn't it best to say God is the one who's good? 
I mean, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus, Jesus said, God only is good. He wouldn't start talking that way, and he was sinless and perfect. You know, the self-righteous stuff of religious talk is fantasy land. No human being had ever met the moral test of perfection and passed the test. No human being had met the test of perfection until Jesus came to live among men. Who can ascend the hill of the Lord and who can stand in his holy place? After the sin of Adam, no human being was found good enough on earth to stand in the presence of God without being annihilated by the white-hot heat of his moral perfection, his glory, of the love that is God that would destroy sin. No one could do it. Dear heart, who Jesus is, is the most important answer to the most important question of your life. The question that you must ask yourself this morning, and that is this, who is Jesus for you? I ask that of you. Is he just a good moral man with sound teaching? Or is Jesus Christ something more profound? The great answer to the need of the perfection that will allow you to stand in the presence of God. In Luke 9.18, the Bible records, Now it happened that as Jesus was praying alone, the disciples were with him. And he asked them, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist. But others say, Elijah and others that one of the old prophets has arisen. And he said to them, but, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered. Now Peter was quick to answer often. And it's funny, when Peter gives an answer, very often it's the right answer, and then he messes up later. And that's what he'll do in this storyline. Peter answered, he said, the Christ of God. Now Jesus asked two questions. What do others say that I am? And then he asked the question, what do you say that I am? The answer from others was impressive. Let's review it. First, they said John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist was a man who rocked the nation and called his people back to God. I mean, you couldn't have found a better preacher in Jesus' day. I mean, it even looks like the preaching was more dynamic from John the Baptist than Jesus. Jesus was just called the teacher and the healer. In Jesus' day, there was no greater man on earth than John the Baptist, a man who could stand up like Elijah to the kings of the land and call people back to God, to the word of God, without fear of the king's threat or sword. I mean, John the Baptist was it in Jesus' day. I mean, it was felt strongly that somehow John couldn't stay in the grave, that he'd have to be resurrected, and Herod was afraid that John had in fact been resurrected. So they thought maybe Jesus was just John in a different body. Others said Elijah. Elijah was the greatest of the prophets. He was the closest thing to Superman in the Old Testament. I mean, if you want to look at the Jewish Superman, you go back and you read the story of Elijah. He could run for miles without losing his wind. He could stand in the gale of a fierce, furious army and call fire down from heaven. He was Superman to the Jewish people. He was the greatest example in the Old Testament of a prophet's courage and a prophet's commitment to God. He brought the northern kingdom back to God when it had been seduced by Jezebel and Ahab and by Baal worship. He brought it back to God as he built 12 stones and created an altar unifying the nation again. And he said, if God be God, serve him. And if Baal, then serve him. And then he called with simple prayer, fire down from God. It burned up the altar and the people said, The Lord is God. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over 
biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. But Jesus passed them all aside and he said, Who do you say that I am? Forget the titles. Forget the prophetic credentials. Forget the great men of today and the past. Who do you say that I am? Dear heart, what is your confession of Jesus Christ today? Who do you say that he is? I mean, what is the answer to this question in your life, your heart, right now, today? That is the salient question that we must embrace here. Dear heart, when you answer that question the right way, you have opened the door to paradise. This notion that Jesus is just some moral teacher who corrects our thinking is spiritual nonsense. Jesus is more than that or he's nothing at all. Peter said, you are the Christ of God. Now the word Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. We christen someone. It comes from the Greek word Christos. And it means to anoint. And so he's really saying you're the Messiah. You are the anointed one. Peter is saying you are the anointed one of God. That's another way of saying you're the chosen one of God. You're the ultimate man and more than man to me. I recognize you. You're not a great man. You're the man. You're not just a spiritual leader. You're the source of the Spirit. You're not just the righteous and moral one. You're God's perfect anointed one that makes us righteous and morally clean. You are God's Messiah, the man I want to follow for the rest of my life. That's what he's trying to say here. I mean, when we confess Christ, what are we confessing? That we have the right belief system? That we somehow can say the right things religiously? Or that we want Jesus as the hero of our life, the captain, the Lord, the chosen one of God to be the one that leads us? Peter got it right. The Bible says that you must believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord to be saved. I mean, there's no such thing as a silent believer in the Scripture. There's no such notion as having a belief in Christ and not telling others about that belief, of somehow holding it to yourself and being a good witness by saying nothing. It is totally incompatible with Bible belief. Not a teacher, not a preacher, not a spiritual philosopher is Jesus. None of these and more than this is he. Dear heart, you must confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is God's Messiah, the Lord, to be saved. Now, we don't come to church here to look good. Some of you will say, amen, right? No. We come to church to find Jesus and be saved and help others get there. Is that not why we come to church? I mean, this notion that we're trying to reconstruct some golden community that will create some warm, fuzzy kingdom feeling here, that's not what it's about. Dear heart, the pursuit of religion is Jesus. The reason for gathering is in his name. And the purpose to be here is to know him, to have him, to be the Lord of our life, both individually and corporately. And everything else is commentary. In verse 21, Jesus told Peter to not tell it to a single soul until he should be raised from the dead. He said, what you have confessed here is so important. Wait until the resurrection to make it brought. Verse 21, but he charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying... The Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. 
Now, Peter's confession was a prophetic foretaste of the proclamation of the everlasting gospel. I mean, what he said right then and there is the core and kernel of the truth that will go to the world. The gospel of Mark is the gospel, according to Peter, transmitted to Mark. And Jesus put it plainly in the gospel of Mark that Peter records, Mark 16, 15, and 16. I mean, here we have the simple mission of the Christian church defined by Christ. And he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to the whole creation. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. Now you can't get more simple than that, can you? If you believe that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, which Paul tells us is the most important truth of the gospel. If you believe he was raised, like it says in Romans 4.25, for your acceptance. If you believe that he ever lives to make intercession for you. Christ even called the gospel the gospel of the kingdom. In Daniel 7, 13 and 14, he comes before the Ancient of Days at the end of time before the second coming to receive his kingdom. And in Daniel 7, 21, it says, I saw that horn making war on the saints until the judgment set. And judgment was given for the saints of the Most High or in favor of them. If you believe Jesus is your advocate and proxy and substitute in the judgment too. In other words, if Jesus' life takes your life, if it takes the place of your life, and if you seize him as Lord and Messiah, dear heart, you will be saved according to Scripture. And the one who does not believe will be condemned just as certainly. Peter's confession gets to the heart of the matter that matters most to the heart. Faith that calls on the name of the Lord is faith in God's Messiah who is the Lord. It's a personal faith in Jesus. It's not some intellectual faith. It's when you need forgiveness, he is the source to the answer of the need. And he is the perfect man that every man and woman needs to know. So what is the single most important quality in Jesus' life that can transform your life forever? Let's ask that question. What is it in Jesus that makes him so great that he can be God's Messiah and God's anointed one? Why is he God's Messiah that must be confessed by the mouth to have life? Look at Luke 9.23. Here is that quality. And Jesus said to all, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits his own life? Jesus is saying, Who you are on the inside is more important than what others think of you on the outside. And whoever follows Jesus must step down to follow him. The whole world says, step up to the plate and be great. The whole world chooses greatness that lords over others, the greatness of the great. And dear heart, that is not how it works in the kingdom of God. And it grates on the nerves of God to see this kind of greatness down here amplified out and even that manifested in the church as something good. It is servant leadership that does not require recognition that defines greatness in the kingdom of God. The whole world says you must step up and walk on others to be great. Get to the top by pushing others out of the side. But whoever follows Jesus must step down and deny himself or herself to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus denied himself to the very, the very right of life itself. He denied himself so he could save your life unto eternal life. By definition, Jesus is the man who stepped down. I mean, if you want to define him in a single phrase, he's the man who stepped down. If you don't like that kind of hero in Jesus, if you're offended by that kind of statement, 
then you're ashamed of him at the deepest level because that's who he is. In Luke 9, 26, Jesus said, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. In Luke 9, 18, this whole interaction with Jesus happened when the disciples saw Jesus praying. I mean, here he was alone praying, and that came out as the result of his prayer. Now, the prayers of Jesus had a way of just sucking them into the mind and heart of God. Now, Luke 9, 28, the scene shifts now to another prayer, another scene. And again, Jesus is praying. Verse 28, Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his countenance was altered, and his raiment became dazzling white. Now, the disciples didn't have to wait to see Jesus coming in the glory of the Father. I mean, Christ had talked about his lightning flashes from the east and goes to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. I mean, they didn't have to wait for the future. Here it was on the mountain. That night, on the holy mountain of God, heaven was opened and the glory of God emanated from Jesus Christ, the Shekinah fire of God's glory inside of Christ that had been veiled like the burning bush began to burn on the mountain. That will conclude the first portion of number 16 in the Cosmic Controversy series, The Man Who Stepped Down. Join us again next time, and thanks for listening today. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's Last Altar Call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. The book is yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. Again, thank you for your support, 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Again, you can listen to this broadcast online at reachingyourheart.com in its entirety, along with the rest of the Cosmic Controversy series. And join us again next time. We so appreciate you listening. For Pastor Michael Oxentenko and everyone here, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.